What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside, a podcast about helping you and the church be better on the inside. I'm John. I'm your host and digital pastor for this journey. And today we have a special episode, a special Earth Day episode of Better on the Inside with my friend Kyle Meyer Schkop. He is an author of a book called Following Jesus in a Warming World. And we had a great conversation. And so he's approaching this from a completely different angle than I've ever seen. So if you're like skeptical of the environmental conversation or climate change, you need to tune into this one. He connects it to discipleship in, in a really good way. Uh, if you do want to order his book, Ivy Press has been so uh, generous in being able to offer our listeners a 30% off discount plus free shipping at ivypress.com for about a week or so. So if you type in the code BETTERIN, B-E-T-T-E-R-I-N, my listeners, you get 30% off and free shipping on this book. It is worth it. Listen to the interview, and if you like it, order the book. Even if you don't, I'd highly recommend it. My conversation with Kyle is really cool, and he's a really great guy. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside. I am here chatting with my friend, Kyle Mayard Scop. Yes? I got it right? Close. Oh, Close. Mayard. Yeah. Wait. My- Mayard. Mayard. Kyle Mayard Scott. There we go. Nailed it. Yep. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Kyle, how you doing today, man? I'm good, John. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Now, Kyle and I met just on Twitter and I kind of put out yep. an open call and I'd been following him and some of the stuff that he'd done. And he was like, hey, I'll come on. I'm like, whoa, I get a big author uh, <laughs> to be on to, to be on the show. So Kyle, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and what you're doing? Yeah, I think that's the first time I've been called a big author, so I'll take it. Big time. Um, big time author. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, uh, I'm i Kyle Meyer-Scott. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, my day job is as vice president for an organization called the Evangelical Environmental Network. So we exist to uh, work with Christians around the country to help them recover and um, rediscover our biblical call to care for God's creation and to love our neighbors through the ways that we interact with uh, the natural world around us. So um, we're doing education and advocacy around stuff like pollution, climate change, um, working with churches to bring them along on facilities, upgrades, connecting them to resources to, to be better stewards yeah. of, of creation. And uh, I did just write a book uh, that came out a, a month and a half oh, ago yeah. called Following Jesus in a Warming World. So I am a big time author now, I guess. Yes, you are. Big time. Uh, <laughs> make sure that you order a copy of Following Jesus in a Warming World. It is it is great. I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing, but the excerpt that I've had a chance to read is fantastic. Mm. And part of what Thanks. I love and one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you, Kyle, is that climate advocacy and kind of taking care of God's creation, even though that sounds like exactly what a follower of Jesus would be interested in doing, mm. um, I think so many environmental issues and environmental advocacy has become politicized and polarized yeah. where if you care about the environment, you're on this side, or you want to destroy the environment, and you're on this side, which is an yeah. unfair polarization of most people that I've met. Most yes. people really seem to have a common sense, at least view of we're here. We probably shouldn't make the place that we live horrible, 
but at the same time, we may not know how to go forward or we may not have had, I've never heard a sermon on it and I've never yep. heard a lot of conversation around why it's an important part of our discipleship as you would kind of talk yeah. about in spiritual formation. So lay that out yeah. for us for a second. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, you're right. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is because your experience is pretty common from from what I've heard uh, through conversations I've had, especially with young Christians. Mm. So I've spent a lot of time the last 10 years or so um, visiting college campuses, visiting youth groups, talking to young Christians. And one theme rises above all the rest is that for so many young Christians across the country who grew up in the church, were raised by the church, baptized, formed in the church, um, the, the common theme around uh, environment, climate change specifically, is silence. Mm. Um, just not a lot uh, of conversation, much less teaching and formation and guidance and discipleship around how do we as Christians, as Jesus, Jesus followers, think about things like pollution and mm. environmental degradation and climate change? How do we think about that as Christians, as disciples? Um, some young Christians, you know, they, they develop this passion for these issues, but they feel like their church is telling them even implicitly, like, you got to check that at the door. Yeah. You can go to the Sierra club rally on Saturday, but on Sunday, don't talk about it. Mm. Right. And, and so a, a lot of young people are frustrated with that, understandably so. And part of what I wanted to do in the book is kind of chart, chart a path forward and say, how can we actually bring this into our churches in a way that's winsome? in a way that is deeply biblical, in a way that's Jesus-centered, so that we can um, help the church understand that this isn't this isn't ancillary to our faith. This isn't secondary. Um, this isn't a distraction. This is exactly who we are. Yeah. This is exactly who we are as followers of Jesus. And, and we have to be engaged on this stuff, not because it's woke, not because mm. it's hip, not because like the broader culture says it's important, but because Jesus says it's important and because yeah. the Bible says it's important. Um, so yeah, the, the book, you know, I, I, I go through a lot of the scriptural support, right. um, for caring for creation and, and it's not just stuck in Genesis, mm. right? Like we start there, but then we go to, we go to Job, we go to Colossians, we go to the incarnation story and John, yeah. we, we go to Revelation and, and I gesture to a whole lot of other ones because what I like to do is open up all of scripture and help people understand that this theme of God's love and care and affection for creation, our responsibility toward it, God's eternal plans for it, yeah. like that that's not just tucked away in Genesis 1 and 2. That's that's a theme that runs through the whole story and, and right through the heart of the gospel. Um, so, so I do a lot of that work, uh, in the book laying kind of that scriptural theological foundation. Um, and I, I also try to help people understand that this isn't just about trees and polar bears, mm. even though I do believe God cares about those things too, yeah. right? Those are also the works of his hands that he calls good. This is about people yeah. and this is about us. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and when we look at a savior that we're trying to follow, who tells us, the most important thing is to love God with everything you got and to love your neighbor as if their current circumstances and future prospects mm. were your own, mm. then uh, we have to take something like climate change seriously because of the ways that climate change is uh, 
impacting and degrading the good works of God's hands. Yeah. Um, and because of the ways that it's harming our neighbors right now, yes. right here and right now. Um, and, and the ways that pollution is, is harming our neighbors and the ways that, um, all of the things we're doing to the natural world are not just bad for the non-human creation, but they're really bad news for people too. And, and if we're going to be people of good news, then we, we have to read the bad news, grapple with it, and then tell a better story and, and bring the good news of Jesus into those circumstances. Oh man, I love that. And I talked uh, earlier this year to a guy named Dr. Josh Packard, who's from Springtide Research Institute, who was talking about young people and faith. And one Mm. of the things that you're talking about is, uh, is something he talked about is the disintegration of their lives uh, the, their whole lives as part of faith. Faith was could, wow. Faith as a they they don't see faith as compartmentalized. Like you talked yes. about Sierra Club on Saturday, church on Sunday, yep. right? They don't see yes. it that way. They have a much more integrated view of how faith should impact everything. And I think yeah. he he actually had good news because a lot of times the you know the church news for young people is oh they're leaving the church and everything is horrible <laughs> right. but part of what he was talking about was that they're more spiritual but also more advocacy based they want to go out and yeah. do stuff and so that's a big part of what you're talking about and in the excerpt I got to read I love the connection to humanity and our neighbor hmm. I love the connection to the great commandment and you tell a touching story about Larry uh, mm. A guy named Larry and the great, the greatest commandment, and kind of connecting all of those things together. And so, without giving away too much, but talk a little bit about what that, what that did, uh, how that colors your advocacy and what you do. Yeah, that's such a great question. I love it. Um, yeah, I tell the story in, in the book about Larry Gibson. Um, he's a. a you know, a lifelong resident of Appalachia goes back generations. Um, his family has been on their mountain for, for generations called Kayford mountain. And, and I won't give too much away, but he, he ends up kind of being in this fight for his life, um, for the mountain with the local coal company. Um, because coal was discovered not far from the surface of Kayford and the local coal company wanted to buy the mineral rights so that they could plant dynamite in the top of the mountain and blow it up and scrape the coal seams um, off the surface. A practice called mountaintop removal coal mining. Mm. Uh, and I, I went to visit Larry and, and to hear his story. Um, I, I got to go up on Kayford Mountain, visit his cabin. I got to look at the mountain next door that had been subjected to mountaintop removal coal mining. And um it, it, it for me, um, it was a really important experience, and I've had other experiences like it. I, I tell the story of Margaret um, in the book to a farmer in Kenya who has been thrown into food insecurity because the weather has changed so dramatically during her lifetime that she finds it almost impossible to grow food for her family anymore. Um, I tell the story of Robert, mm. a father and a grandfather from New Orleans who uh, suffered through Hurricane Katrina and lost his mother and granddaughter in the storm. And for me, all of these stories just um, solidify for me kind of this this holy formula uh, of creation care equals people care. Mm. Uh, we, we can't separate 
human well-being from the well-being of the natural world because as scripture attests we are creatures yeah. right we we depend on water and soil and photosynthesis and and air um, for our survival yeah. and so when we when we sully all of that then we are put at risk too and and yeah th- those faces i carry those faces with me i carry those stories with me into my advocacy as a reminder that this isn't abstract. Mm. This isn't this isn't just kind of some theological abstraction. This is a concrete way for me to love Larry, a concrete way for me to love Margaret, a concrete way for me to love Robert. Yeah. Um, and and all of my other neighbors who are suffering the consequences of a changing climate and an in a degraded environment. Yeah. Oh man, it's so powerful though. Because I think you're right. I think we can abstract climate change into mm-hmm. an idea, like something that's yeah. kind of happening separate from us. And you give all these examples. And unfortunately, I do think the poor and the the lesser, the least fortunate in the world, the yeah. least as Jesus would call them, right, yep. are the first on the on uh, that suffer because mm-hmm. you know you talk about Margaret in Kenya and you talk about Larry in Appalachia and you talk mm-hmm. about New Orleans and so you talk about these communities that are on the front lines of what climate change does and it feels like sometimes in the United States as most like evangelical industrial complex Christians are kind of middle-ish class. And so we're kind of protected and kind of comforted from the, from the consequences of climate change. And so how much do you think that colors our view of it and that we're not having to largely deal with it every day? Yeah. Oh man, that's so important. Yeah. I, I talk about that in the book a little bit that, um, just simple geography as well as socioeconomics can insulate us from the worst impacts of climate change. Climate change doesn't press on the world equally, Mm. right? There are portions of the world that are feeling climate change more strongly than others. The equator, as one example, the poles um, in particular. And and it turns out that North America especially is situated um, in a place to be relatively, and that word relatively is doing a lot of heavy lifting, to be relatively insulated from climate impacts. And I say relatively because we are not protected completely, right? Like we're seeing the wildfires in the West. We're seeing the Pacific heat dome that sat over Vancouver and killed hundreds of people a couple years ago. We're seeing stronger and stronger hurricanes, even right here in Michigan. One of the, the predicted impacts of climate change here is Uh, more extreme precipitation events. So um, not necessarily more rain, but more rain all at once. And and we just had a huge storm and I have a creek that runs behind my house and it's almost overflowing its banks right now. And the backyard of our neighbor is totally flooded. Like as I speak, I can look out Mm. and see the pond in my neighbor's backyard. Um, And, and um, like that, that's not great for basements here in Michigan and, and for homes and, and, um, so it's it's uh, it's everywhere. It really is everywhere. Yeah. But um, you're right that we can feel we can feel insulated. We can feel separate from it. Um, but you know, some of the things I like to share is um, uh, we we aren't uh, as protected as we want, we might want to think. Sure. Not only from climate change, but from other pollution too. Because mm-hmm. when we when we set fossil fuels on fire. They don't just release greenhouse gas emissions. They also release all kinds of toxic chemicals and metals 
um, and carcinogens that get into our air. One example is soot. It's this really fine particulate matter that's 2.5 microns in width. Mm. Uh, for, for reference, the human hair is 50 to 100 microns across. So this okay. is microscopic stuff yeah. that flies out of smokestacks, flies out of tailpipes. When we breathe it in, it's so fine that it gets stuck in our lungs and it can cross into our bloodstream and move all over our body and get lodged into all kinds of organs, including our brains. I just read a story last night about a new report that found that uh, there is a growing connection between exposure to this soot, this particulate matter, yeah. and dementia. Oh. And um, that it's estimated that 99% of the world's population. 90, wow. get this 99% the whole the entire world yeah. is exposed to unhealthy levels of soot. Mm. So we can't see it but all of us are breathing it and there are these direct links to things like dementia, uh heart disease, kidney failure, um all kinds of uh, terrible health outcomes that none of us can escape. Yeah. And, and even though we we might not know about it or we might not see it, it's there and it affects all of us. Yeah. Whoo. Well, I know that even here in San Antonio, Texas, we're experiencing some of the climate change pieces. And so uh, we mm. had our snow apocalypse a couple of years ago where yes. it got yeah. so cold and it's not used to being that cold. So we don't we're we're not able to uh, navigate the ice. And we lost a lot of people throughout Texas, unfortunately, through freezing because the power grid went down and yeah. all of these kinds of things. And so I think what you're talking about, uh, I mean, it's so important because in the, uh, in the excerpt that I read, you talked about that the earth is not inert raw material. And that stuck mm. with me because, uh, you know, I would probably call myself not like a super climate advocate or, or an environmental yeah. kind of person. But the, the spiritual idea that the earth is not inert raw material that we can kind of take in our hands and create for our for whatever we want. But instead, yeah. like if we viewed it as part of something that God himself created, we would yeah. see it differently. And I think about yeah. the parable of the talents and mm. what and it makes me think because when I drive, you know, one of the things that my wife and I love to do is road trip and we drive through Texas and Texas has its own kind of beauty. It's a different yeah. kind of beauty and the sun seems bigger. The sky seems bigger, but you drive. Through, <laughs> Everything's bigger. In yeah, right. You drive <laughs> through the scenery and you kind of look at it and you marvel at it. But then you see where it was touched. There are spots that it was touched by man and it's strip malls. And the most de the most depressing thing that I drove by <laughs> recently was an outlet mall that had that's giant. I mean, just acres and had one store open. Oh. And it, it just and it's not even that it's like morally wrong necessarily. Yeah. I just looked at it. and I was like what a waste like this is such a beautiful place and then mm. this is what we chose to do with it and so it, this this it, when we view it as inert raw material and it kind of becomes the the just disposable thing that we can use it for and so the reason it made me connect to the par the parable of the talents is going we have all this beauty when you go out to what's mm -hmm. untouched by man you look at it and you go wow we were given this yeah. And what did we do with it? And building a, uh, an outlet mall where one store is open is actually worse than just hiding the talent. <laughs> it's actually going, this talent doesn't really matter and throwing it away and setting it on fire. <laughs> like it just takes it to a different, 
Uh, so there's not really a question of that. But Kyle, mm, I'd be interested in yeah. hearing you talk a little bit to some of the folks who are listening and are like, look, I'm not going to be an environmentalist. I'm not yeah. going to do these kinds of things. And maybe even people that are skeptical from a more conservative point of view. Yeah. And whether you believe in climate change or not, like what what is the message for taking care of what God has given us? Yeah, that's so good. Um, can I just quickly respond? Yes, to, please, uh, please. What you had said before. So um, I have a I had a friend and a mentor who passed away a couple years ago. His name was Peter Ilian. Um, and he, he told a story once of being at a Christian rock concert, one of these, um, Christian music festivals mm -hmm. and the, the band that was up front singing that the lead singer was kind of doing a mini sermon preaching and, and talking about, uh, Oh I, man, I can't wait to get to heaven talking about, you know, someday when we, when we can be in heaven and, and enjoy the beauty of heaven. And, um, Peter, Peter turned to the person he was with and, and he said something to the effect of, um, hasn't that guy ever tasted a peach? Mm. This is heaven. Mm. <laughs> right. Mm. Uh, the, just this, this, um, recovering the sacredness of this place. Um, not the divinity of this place, sure. right? Like a lot of people want to jump right away to, to accusations of worshiping creation. Mm. Personally, I think there's a huge, distance between a proper appreciation and a f and affection mm. for the goodness of creation there's a huge distance between that and then worshiping yes. that goodness yes. rather than the goodness of the creator who made it um but yeah i, I just love that image hasn't that guy ever yeah. tasted a peach wow wow <laughs> this is heaven um yeah so anyway to your question um it's a really important one and and i'll just say too i don't call myself an environmentalist mm. either. Mm. I don't do this because I'm an environmentalist. I don't do this because I'm a Democrat or a Republican. Um, I do this work because I'm trying to follow Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and I, I don't know how to do that without taking climate change and environmental destruction seriously. Yeah. Um, so so uh, if you say you're not going to be an environmentalist, great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. That's fine. All all we need to be is who we already are. Mm. We just need to be followers of Jesus, um, and and we need to um, we need to try to uh, understand how our calling to follow after Jesus then calls us into spaces of brokenness yeah. in the created world, and um, what it means to try to love our neighbor by making sure they have a healthy. Um, environment to thrive in yeah. to flourish and thrive in um so so i would say i'm not an environmentalist either yeah uh, and and you don't have to become one you don't have to change you don't have to change your identity right you're already exactly who you need to be to get active in this and to see yourself in the story of action mm. um and, and and to to the other question about you know how how can we move forward um in in taking care of the works of god's hands I would say uh, a couple things. One is never let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I think it's so easy for us to get almost immediately overwhelmed by how much information mm. there is out there yeah. about this yes. and, and how seemingly um, 
uh, doomsday it can feel, yeah. right? And to just just check out right away. Like I, I I would much rather watch Netflix than try to like read the UN's latest mm. report, mm. right? Like yeah. <laughs> um, and I get that. Like I feel that way too. So um, the way I the way I try to frame this, and I do this in the book too, is um, there are a few responses that I think we're called to. One of them is uh, I think there are there is a sense in which we have a responsibility uh, in our own personal lives to try to bring our living into better alignment with the structures of creation. Mm. Uh, And, and that looks, that looks like a whole different, a whole lot of different things for a whole lot of different people. Um, And I actually have an entire appendix in the book with some suggestions. And I, I, I'm very intentional about framing those in a particular way. So I never want to frame it as here's the laundry list of things you must do in order to be good. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and and you must feel guilty if you don't do them. Uh, You you must feel obligated to do all of them all the time. I I think there's so much guilt, shame and blame around um, this whole conversation that is not helpful at all. So the way I try to frame it is um, think about some of these actions as spiritual disciplines. Because what is a spiritual discipline except an action when undertaken over time forms our heart more closely after the heart of God? Come on. And God's heart is a heart that is for God's creation. So practices when undertaken over time that form our hearts into hearts that care for creation, see the creation as good, develop affection and care and concern for creation. I think those are spiritual disciplines. So if you start hanging your laundry instead of putting in the dryer or turning your washer knob to cold instead of hot, it's a very simple thing. But when undertaken mindfully and thoughtfully over time, I believe that that can start to change us and change our hearts. Yeah. And, and so it's not just an action that we must do out of obligation or guilt or shame or blame. It's an invitation into deeper communion with God. Yeah. It's an invitation to joy. Right. We can find joy in these practices, right? And if, you, if you're mm. undertaking a practice that's not bringing you joy, don't feel like you have to keep doing it. Find another practice that brings you joy um, because we are made for this, yeah. right? God, God creates us in his image and then says, rule over this, serve and protect it. Um, this is our identity as image bearers. Mm. Part of being an image bearer is this, this holy call, this responsibility to care for creation. And if that's how God made us, then, then God made us to do that with joy. Yeah. He made us to find joy in that yeah. work. So um, that's, one, that's one thing. Another thing that I think we're all invited into is um, to tell our own stories about our journey of learning on this issue yeah. and why it matters to us. Yeah. Because if we're living, breathing human beings on planet Earth who love other living, breathing, eating human beings on planet Earth, we all have reasons to care about a healthy Earth, right? right? A healthy environment. Whether we know it or not, if you have kids, I have kids. That's one of the reasons I care because I want my kids to be healthy mm. and, and I want them to have a future where they don't have to worry about um, severe storms and, and flooding and drought and uh, wildfires. I, I want my kids to be able to enjoy the intended goodness of creation. Yeah. Um, everybody has a reason to care. So um, reflect a bit on, you know, what what is it in your life that matters most to you? And, and how does climate change or pollution or environmental degradation 
impact that. Yeah. Um, and then tell that story. Tell that story to the people around you because the the research shows that um, conversations about this stuff in the context of close social relationships leads to the greatest uh, impact in terms of more understanding of climate change facts. Uh, it's more effective. You are the best messenger for your people, yeah. for your friends, your family, your church members. It's not Al Gore. It's not me. It's you whether you know it or not. And and you don't need to have the scientific stats in your back pocket. You don't need to have like the, the legislative jargon down pat. You don't need any of that. Actually, that's not all that effective. What is effective is story wow. and telling your own story to your people, the people that know and love you. Um, and then the third thing I would say that we're called to and I do make this move in the book, is to uh, advocacy in public, public advocacy, because we can't ignore the fact that it's policy that um, created the conditions in which the world could warm, mm. right? It, it's it's policy that has privileged the development of fossil fuels to the tunes of billions of dollars every single year in subsidies and tax breaks and tax credits for the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. Um the, the advent of a fossil fuel economy was not preordained, right? Mm. That, happened, <laughs> that happened because we created the structures through laws, through policies, through economics, through financing, through jurisprudence. We created the world in which fossil fuels would power that world. And, and we're going to need another set of policies, of laws, of... Um, legal theories of, of finance, financial mechanisms and structures. We're going to need all of that again if we're going to bring the temperature down. And, and that's going to take structural change. And I think Christians have to be a part of that conversation. Yeah. And I, I make this move in the book. I say, because it's part of what it means to love our neighbors in public. Mm. Um, that Cornell West said that Love justice is what love looks like in public. Mm. I love that quote. Justice quote. is what love looks like in public. And then I kind of go a step further and say, and advocacy is how we love in public. Mm. Um, by advocating for policies, standards that are going to protect creation and to create the conditions in which our neighbors can flourish and thrive in a healthy world. Yeah. Man. Okay, so that's profound. That like that <laughs> that moment that you had, like of all the three things, spiritual disciplines, advocacy, like it's like mm. it's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> so like listener, download that. Like li you might have to go back and replay that. That's good. And I think the the last piece of the advocacy does speak to this sense of I think there's an individual fatigue around mm. some of this because yes. as I as I hear the younger people talking, it's kind of like. Well, most pollution and most of this is created by the largest companies in the world. And what I do is just a drop in the bucket compared to this. So why, yeah. sh why should I dot, 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 right? And you kind of go, yeah. I can't, it, it's essentially, I can't really move the needle on this problem. Yeah. And so yeah. the advocacy piece kind of connects it to, hey, I'm loving my neighbor. But another way to do that is to not just, you know, is to go downstream and kind yeah. of clean the stream that's coming, not just the stream in front of you, uh, yes, and the sort right. the water source, right? And yeah. I, because I, I, I think there's a creeping cynicism around some of this, where it's just like, yeah. well, the guys with billions of dollars are just going to do whatever they're going to do. 
But I love what you said of it's not preordained for fossil fuels to be privileged. Like the way that we do things was not ordained by God. Right. And the we did it, which means we can also undo it. Yeah. And right. W- and think about that as it relates to any topic, right? Any of yes. the systems that we exist within have been created by people. And just as easy as it was done, it can be undone. We can't undo yes. gravity. Gravity is not a system <laughs> we created. But there's a right. lot of yep. systems we created that can be undone. And so I yeah. think that speaks a lot to the shape of how people can feel disempowered mm-hmm. to make a difference in this. Um, that's really and cool. I love that. That is so good, John. And and I'll just add to um, the status quo was not neutral either, right? So so to to feel like we can simply check out and wash our hands of the current circumstances, I think yeah. it, is naive of the ways in which we are embedded and enmeshed mm. in these systems and structures, right? Yeah. And and um, the 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 powers and principalities that benefit from the status quo would love nothing more than for those of us with the power to do something about it, to feel disempowered and to feel like we don't have the power yeah. to, to do anything about it. Right. Like who does, who does it serve to sit on our hands and to be cynical? Yeah. Does it serve my neighbor? Does it serve Margaret who can't feed her family in Kenya? Or does it serve massive fossil fuel corporations who want to continue to uh, pollute uh, until they they wring every dollar out of this spent earth, yeah. right? Um, so so part of it is who do we want to align ourselves with? Mm. Um, because we we are aligning ourselves with someone. Yeah. Um, the status quo is not neutral. Yeah. So um, even if we feel like we're washing our hands and and stepping away from whatever is happening, we're actually not. We're colluding with the powers and principalities. Um, that are perpetuating a, a status quo that is actively harming our neighbors. Yeah, uh, and so I, I think it requires followers of Jesus to make an active move toward the margins um, if we're going to be faithful. Yeah, man, yeah, I love this idea of, uh, and I'll use the word, and it might be too big, but neutral evil. Uh, because yeah. I had a conversation <laughs> with a friend uh, on the podcast not so long ago about the algorithm is not your friend. The algorithms mm. are not neutral. And, mm-hmm. but, but they're kind of immersive. And so we're just kind of surrounded by them. And so we think, oh, well, they're unbiased because it's an algorithm. Instead, yeah. it's, oh, it's biased because all of our biases are baked in to the algorithm. And the status quo is kind of the same thing in that letting things be what they are is assuming that they were destined to be this way yes. versus somebody made them this way. And, mm-hmm. and so I love the idea that the status quo doesn't, and, it's also kind of a privileged perspective of like, well, I can't do enough, so I won't do yep. anything. Um, yeah. That's that is a very privileged perspective. But I, I love Absolutely. I love the thought of not allowing the status quo to be okay. And as followers yeah. of Jesus, that's kind of a basic thing. Like right? I, I think it's kind of yeah. a basic thing of going the status quo is not okay. And uh, now I'm going to go off on my soapbox for just a little bit. Come on, uh, just the <laughs> idea that even if it's a doomed fight. I think it's a fight that we're supposed to fight. And I think mm. I think Jesus gives us the idea that like, well, what difference do I make? Well, to your point, if it's Larry or Margaret or our neighbor, it's worth it. If their quality yeah. of life gets 5% better because of the work that we did, that's holy work. 
because yes. it goes against the mm. the creeping tide of darkness and evil that we see yeah. so much and so much of it we let by the status quo so much of yes. it we just go ah oh, well it's going to be like that oh well it's going to be like that and yeah. not ex- and it, we got to not accept that the status quo is like you said neutral it's not yes. the status yes. quo is not for us and it's not for mm-hmm. the least of these. So yes. do something. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yes. I love it. Preach. Yeah. John. That's so good. That's so good. Yes. Ooh, come on. Now I want to ask you, Kyle, how did you get into this? Like, were you, were you a kid that was in like third grade that cared about this? Or was there like a part of your story <laughs> that like, how did you get into yeah. this, this piece? That's a good question. I, I really like this question because I, I was not like... I'm not your typical person who would be doing this work. And I like to tell that story because I think a lot of people think like, oh, if you're going to do this work, if you're going to be involved in this, then you have to like be outside all the time. Yeah. Sleeping in the woods. You're Greta. What's her face? Um, Greta. Thunberg. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, that's right. the yeah. kind of picture. Yep. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian community that was beautiful and, and um, I, I'm so grateful for. Uh, and it was pretty silent on climate change. Yeah. So it was, it was not really on my radar at all. And I was also not the kid that would like go into the woods all day and come back for dinner. Like <laughs> I was, I was watching TV yeah. and playing video games, right? Yeah. That was me. Um, you know, playing, playing basketball outside maybe, mm-hmm. but yeah, I wasn't like a super naturey kid either. Um, and one of the big moments for me was when my older brother, who I love and respect a ton, um, was in college and I was still home in high school. He went off on a semester abroad program to New Zealand and he studied at the intersection of scripture, theology, and ecology and biology brought into conversation together. This was a Christian study abroad program called the Creation Care Studies Program. Um, and he came back totally transformed by what he had learned. And and he announced to the family soon after he got home that he was a vegetarian now wow. because, uh, because of what he had learned. And for me, like in the context I was in, it was as if he had said to the family, I am a dog now yeah. <laughs> uh, because of what <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I knew nobody like me who had ever made that choice. I couldn't fathom anyone like me who would. And I had a caricature in my head of anybody like that. Right. Mm. And it was not my brother. So I had a painful choice. I could lump my brother into this caricature um, of people, um, this brother that I loved and, and respected um, into this caricature of, of people or I could suspend my assumptions and hear him out. And thanks be to God, he was patient and, and kind and generous and helping me understand his journey. And it wasn't long until I understood that that choice of his was not him rejecting the values that we had been taught in our Christian community. It was his attempt to try to live more deeply into them. Mm. Um, and that was the first time anybody had given me permission to think about how my faith might inform the way that I engage wow. on, on these issues. Uh, and then I went off to college and I had my own experiences like that. That was when in college I, I went to visit Larry um, and, uh, a couple times in West Virginia actually, and, uh, reading books and, and taking classes and professors and going to lectures, all of it, um, kind of culminating for me in, in this calling, um, to go to seminary, mm. which I eventually did, um, and to serve the church in kind of a interesting eclectic way, right? Yeah. Uh, to, right. To, to not, to not, 
uh, necessarily be a traditional pastor uh, in a church, but to be ordained as I am now into my role at the Evangelical Environmental Network because my, my church that ordained me said, we believe this is consistent with the calling of the minister of the word wow. to uh, preach the good news of Jesus Christ to all creation and to help the church recover its holy calling to um, follow Jesus by, in part, caring for the works of God's hands and loving our neighbor mm -hmm. um, by making sure that they have a healthy environment to live in wow. and thrive in. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. That's yeah. an incredible story. <laughs> we could talk. Yeah. Is So I have two, uh, I have so many questions because I can talk, <laughs> I can talk to you forever, uh, honestly, yeah. but what of, is your brother still a vegetarian? Um, I think he's kind of like a flexitarian, he might call it. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's, and he's flexible, but he, he has tried to cut down meat a lot, yeah. as have my wife and I too. We, I was on my own vegetarian journey too. Like I, yeah. I cut it all out for a while and then it's kind of creeped back, but we try to keep it, we try to keep it uh, moderate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like no judgment because nobody gets yeah. harsher judgment. Than uh, than vegetarians and vegans who go who yeah. who go away from that, <laughs> right. and you're just like, oh, I thought vegetarianism was so great. Oh, you're back eating right. meat, right? And so, right. not to harshly judge, because part of yeah. what you talked about is kind of a gentleness towards yourself and the practices mm -hmm. of not mm -hmm. of of not allowing yourself to just like joyously hold on to this yes. thing because of an ideological kind of piece, because yep. guess what? That's the right. world is hard. Your mental health is all a part of this. And, and you've yep. really incorporated that in what you've talked about. So I really appreciate that. But I was just yeah. curious because yeah. I, a lot of people have a vegetarian phase. Uh, and <laughs> that's right. I, yeah, that's and, right. And it's okay. It's not bad. Right. Like it just, yeah. it just is what it is. It's like a lot of people got into plants while the pandemic, like while we were at sure. home or, and then yeah. you abandon your plants and we all have phases. Yeah. So I was just very yeah. curious yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that kids tend to go through that vegetarian phase yeah. and it seems a lot of times to be rooted in this innate sense that animals have dignity mm. and and that that um maybe maybe we should think twice about thoughtlessly pushing billions of living beings through an industrial process that completely strips them of their dignity and tortures them and then puts them in styrofoam in the grocery store and we eat it yeah. right like um, I don't know. I, I, I've, I'm intrigued by by this phenomenon that a lot of times I think the way the world is structured um, strips us of our innocence in a lot of ways. Yes. And I think that might be one of them that like I, I think deep inside of us, maybe even going back to the garden and the way we were created as creatures yeah. to be responsible for other creatures i think that's still inside of us and i think kids are closer to that yes. than adults are yes um well, and i think that's a gift that kids have to offer us again getting to this idea of the status quo isn't preordained yeah um like i i don't know i don't know what yeah. to do with that but that's a phenomenon i've noticed that i'm intrigued by. well i i mean i would love to speak to that for just a second of having kids sure. and you have to answer questions about stuff yeah there's absolutely a cynicism to the way that we do certain things because yeah. kids will be like well we have our dogs and we we treat our dogs well and we like feed them 
so why do we do this differently for chickens or for cows? And it's like, oh, yeah. Billy. And The Simpsons is one of my favorite shows. And they have a whole yeah. episode of The Simpsons. It, Lisa the Vegetarian is the episode. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah. it. but there's a, I think I have. Okay, but yeah. you should watch it again. Uh, because yeah. there's a whole thing about the, it's from the meat industry. And it's about why this the way that we process meat is okay. And it's very sarcastic. Uh -huh. And, you know, the kid goes through the, you know, it's like the sluice floor and or they, they, like whatever. Um, and he's like all pale and like he has a horrible experience having gone through it. Um, but then at the end it says, <laughs> and it shows like this, like really like, I don't know, terror shot of a cow. Of, like make no mistake about it, Billy, he would eat you if he got the chance. And it's just this idea of, but there's a cynicism of, we create these yeah. categories as adults of ways to not feel guilty about the things that we do that we may or not, may or may not be wrong about, but we don't have time to think about. Right. And so we just, yeah. we don't have time to think about how we treat our meat because we're hungry and it's Tuesday and the kids are totally. messed up, but the kids will just be like, cause they ask ridiculous questions. That's yeah. why kids are the best <laughs> negotiators because they make unrealistic demands and they stick to them. Yes. And so, right. And so they'll just be like, well, we should treat all dogs well. And so I think part of what you're taught, we should treat all animals well because we treat our dogs mm -hmm. well. I think yeah. they don't have these categorizations that we have kind of created in our head um, yeah. to make us feel yeah. less guilty. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I really love what you said earlier about having grace for ourselves too. And, um, I really like to to just bring people back to that too. Like you're right, life is hard. Um, you you got to feed your family something on Tuesday after work, yep. and yeah. Um, and so having grace for ourselves is really important. But but not letting that be an excuse to fall into complacency, yeah. right? Like we're we're always on a journey, we're always on a journey. Um, but we we shouldn't ever beat ourselves up about what step on the journey we're on. Oh, love it, love it, Kyle. I could talk to you all day, but it's time for you mm -hmm. to enter the non judgment zone of joy. Okay. And I'm going to ask you a simple question. What brings you joy? But before we ask that question, is there a genre of music that you've been digging on lately as kind of Ooh. inspiration for me to create the non-judgment zone of joy theme song? Okay. Okay. Um, because we had our conversation before we started recording about theater and, and because of my background and uh, passion for musical theater, I, I'm going to say musical theater, oh, show tunes. That's, Give me a show tune. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, my wife. Uh, no pressure, honey. Uh, I'll get I'll get this one right. But uh, I love it. And so you're going to enter the non-judgment zone of joy, musical theater as the genre, where it's just like, a simple place we all have known where we look. We put away our phones. Yeah. It's time to come for one and all to the non-judgment zone of joy. Join in choir. Yes. The non-judgment zone of joy. Okay, perfect. Uh, I wish I could have rhymed that last one, but th that was okay. That was good. Yeah, was I, good. I didn't know you. Were, I didn't know you were gonna do it on the spot. I'm impressed. Oh yeah. I, I thought I thought you were gonna go back and like work on it and then work it into the last the final cut. Uh, well, here's the thing: when you're not musically talented, what I would yeah. do in the moment is just as good, if not better, <laughs> as what I would do if I took 45 minutes to prepare something. <laughs> like I'm not like digging a well of something. Just like going off the Amazing. top of your head is just as good. So, Kyle, what is bringing you joy right now? 
Okay. So in my town, we have a garden and sculpture park. And every spring in March and April, they hatch hundreds of butterflies and set them loose in their tropical greenhouse room. So today, even we are going there. I'm bringing my son. It's his spring break. He's got a a camp there for a couple hours this afternoon. So we're going to go there uh, and we are going to walk amongst the butterflies Mm. in the tropical room with the palm trees and the banana trees. And uh, it's beautiful. They're they're all over. They land on you. Um, It's magical. That sounds incredible. I mean, talk about pure joy. Like there's something like a butterfly is already something where you're just like, Oh, and then to be surrounded by them like that. That's incredible. Okay. Yeah. And and watching it, watching it through the eyes of your child too is like next level. You brought me joy, Kyle. That is an incredible Uh. answer. Kyle Meyered Scop. Yes. Yeah. I got it. Following Jesus in a warming world. uh, The evangelical environmental network, right? Uh, Perfect. Check his stuff out. Where else can they find? Where's the best place to find you? Yeah, find me. So uh, kylemeyerdscop.com is my website. Um, you can go there. You can get in touch with me. You can find some other stuff I've written. Um, watch watch some stuff I've presented. Read more about um, what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and we will 900% link to that in the bio. We'll cool. put a link to buy a book. We'll do the whole thing. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us, man. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. I had fun. Wasn't that an awesome conversation with Kyle? Man, he uh, he's amazing. And I am so happy to have talked with him about this. And I think we could probably talk a lot more. Um, I'm somebody who hasn't always connected, you know, environmental stuff and climate change to following Jesus. And I think Kyle does a really good job and makes a very compelling argument for those things. Again, check out his book, Following Jesus in a Warming World. If you use the code BETTERIN, B-E-T-T-E-R-I-N, from IV Press, you get 30% off and free shipping. That's right, 30% off and free shipping at IV Press until May 8th. So please take the opportunity to order this man's book. It's so good. We'll include links and show notes to some of his other stuff as well. Kyle is doing some great stuff and is just a really good dude. If you want to continue the conversation, you can always do so at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash group slash better on the inside. It's always rate. We'd love for you to rate the show. Uh, that all lets other people know that this is good and you could always share and subscribe on your own. All right. Thank you guys. We have some more episodes coming up. Thank you for checking out this bonus episode. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you.